This is the Jack Blood Show, Hour 2. Thank you for being with us today. DeadlineLive.info is my website. We're here Monday through Friday, 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. I'm out of Atlanta, Georgia. So good to have all of you with us today. And whether you're with us live or as I'm seeing most of you listening on Memorex, it's it's a good thing. And I love being back live. It's a lot of fun. James Corbett was doing a lot of the podcasts with me while I was off the last six months and was a regular contributor to the other live show we were doing in 2013. He's very nice to have me on his podcast every once in a while, and I really enjoy talking to him. He is one of the best researched reporters, and not a repeater, out there today, reports from Japan. He produces video reports for GRTV, the video production arm of the Center for the Research on Globalization, and BoilingFrogsPost.com, the website of FBI noted whistleblower, the real whistleblower, Sybil Edmonds. He's also an editorial writer for the International Forecaster, the weekly e-newsletter created by the recently deceased, may he rest in peace, economic analyst Bob Chapman. And the, it just goes on from there. But his podcasts are at CorbettReport.com. My good friend James Corbett joins us from Japan. How are you, James? Well, I'm doing pretty good considering it's 6 a.m. here in Japan. So uh, you'll excuse me if I'm a bit groggy. But I, I got to say I'm impressed uh, that that was quite a mouthful for the bio. So I'll, I'll try to come up with a shorter version for you next time. Oh, was it too long? No, not at all. I, I love hearing about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, That's I don't joke, give... By the way. I, I, normally, I don't give you a proper bio, so we'll we'll move on from here. James, <laughs> uh, let's see where where can we start with you today? Uh, you've been talking a lot about the the Edward Snowden situation, his connections to Glenn Greenwald, and now Greenwald's new ventures. Why don't we start with that and bring us up to speed? Uh, Secrets for sale, the Greenwald. Uh, what is it, Omdiyar NSA connection? Uh, talk about that with us, if you would, a little bit. And, and why why shouldn't we maybe take everything Edward Snowden says on face value? Right. Well, for, for your listeners who, who may not have seen some of my reporting on this, basically my take is that although I have in the past certainly been impressed with uh, Glenn Greenwald's work, and, and certainly he is quite an articulate and and, uh, and good writer who's able to piece together an argument and uh, and do so quite forcefully with a lot of evidence. So I've, I've been a fan of some of his work in the past, and um, he's basically one of the only people in, the, in anything approaching a mainstream outlet who was talking about such things as the illegal drone strike of uh, Anwar al-Awlaki and, and people like that. So, I mean, he's done some great work in the past, so a lot of people have already sort of known him for that, and uh, thus were willing to go along with his, his reporting on the Snowden uh, affair, Snowjob, as, as perhaps he's better referred to. And uh, But uh, what I find quite disturbing about this is the fact that we've gotten to this point where everything, and I mean everything that we know about Snowden and these documents, is coming through intermediaries. They're coming through people like uh, Greenwald, through Laura Poitras, through Barton Gelman, through, through these third parties who are now increasingly have these conflicted uh, conflicts of interests going on behind the scenes. And in Greenwald's case, for those who don't know, he has left The Guardian where he was reporting um, the Snowden stuff, and he's about to join this new venture that's being created by eBay 
founder slash billionaire Pierre Omidyar. And what's really disturbing about this is that Omidyar is, as the founder of eBay, is a principal executive at PayPal, which eBay owns. And uh, that's disturbing for a number of reasons, not only because Omidyar has, um, what well, was on the board of PayPal when they were making the decision to prosecute the PayPal 14, for example, the the, the cyber protesters who, um, who did some, uh, basically a, a cyber sit-in on the PayPal website in protest of their uh, decision to um, block WikiLeaks. But that was, I mean, that didn't even affect uh, PayPal's actual operations. It was just their website. So it was, uh, it was pretty much nothing, but they're, they're prosecuting these, uh, these cyber activists to the max, um, which is kind of disturbing considering Omidyar is now supposedly this shining example of, uh, you know, a philanthropist who's donating $250 million to start this new news organization, supposedly. But perhaps the more disturbing connection is that not only is the Omidyar network, which he is the founder of, um, connected to Booz Allen Hamilton in a number of ways. And for those who don't know, Booz Allen Hamilton is where Snowden used to work. But also um, PayPal, of course, I mean, everyone uh, can can surmise PayPal has some sort of agreement behind the scenes with the NSA. And that's something that even Glenn Greenwald has admitted. He, he even tweeted it out. I don't doubt that PayPal has an NSA uh, connection or, or something to that effect. But uh, for some reason, he doesn't seem to think that that's a conflict of interest, that this billionaire who um, is a owner of the company that does business with the NSA is now basically buying these uh, these documents from Greenwald. And it's important to note that so far we have seen some people say 1% of the documents that Snowden leaked, but we don't even know because we don't even know how many documents have been leaked. Um, even a simple basic fact like that has been changing and changing throughout this entire time. When it first came out, Greenwald was saying there's about 8,000 to 10,000 documents. Then that was 58,000 documents. Then it's 1.7 million documents. Now we don't even know how many documents. So so just these basic details are, are completely changing all the time. And, uh, and that's just one sign of how this entire story is coming through these third-party intermediaries who now have direct connections to the businessmen who deal with the NSA. So this whole thing stinks to high heaven and and anyone who isn't at least asking questions about this probably isn't on the ball. You're not allowed to, though. You're not really allowed to ask questions about this. This is one of those things you have to just get down on your knees and, and kiss Mother Earth, uh, Gaia, for. And you cannot question it. Um, this is coming from the people, the liberators of free speech. You're, you're, you're yeah. not allowed. Yeah, no, I, it's true. I've never seen quite as much vitriol um, as as has come from members of the so-called alternative media community um, about this this type of uh, questioning. And uh, and Sabel Edmonds, who's been doing a lot of this work, um, she's written a bunch of articles on this. She says she's never received so much hate mail in her entire twelve years of her whistleblowing. Uh, saga. She's never received as much hate mail as she has about uh, daring to question Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, it's like a sacred cow you're not allowed to slaughter or, or even pet or get up and, and smell a little bit. I, I just think we're way too trusting. And this is part of what I did in the first hour. I was talking about this. I doubt you even heard about this. There is a new CIA whistleblower, right? This guy was basically the lawyer for the CIA, John Rizzo, for 34 years and wrote a book, Company Man, 30 Years of Controversy, Crisis in CIA. And the article goes on. He's broken this code of silence to talk about the CIA. He's a quote-unquote whistleblower. That, that, that can't be true. They, there are no CIA whistleblowers, are there? I even question Ray McGovern a little bit. They, they won't tell you everything. If they are telling you something, they've got to keep some secrets or they get Michael Hastings did. did. 
<laughs> I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think once a company man, always a company man. And I think even someone like Ray McGovern, who has, again, he's done some good work in the past. But, uh, but there is, of course, there's the certain issues that he just won't go to, like uh, really questioning 9-11 on a deeper level than the kind of uh, glib, you know, questioning yeah. that, that some people do. Um, I, I agree. I think that, uh, that um, this, there's just, it's, it's, it's such a, a difficult thing. And this is one of the disturbing things about the entire Snowden affair and why this is so important after all. I mean, a lot of us can just roll our eyes and say, oh, it's just all one big con job. But the point is that one of the things that's being undermined here is the concept of whistleblowing itself. And when and if, you know, this whole Snowden affair gets undermined and and uh, people see it for what it is and people see that uh, the Greenwald, for example, is profiting to the tune of millions of dollars off of these stolen documents, etc. And it, it it's going to start to undermine the entire concept of whistleblowing and make it more difficult for future whistleblowers who actually do want to get out information. So so this is an yeah. important um, ang- uh, story, if only from that angle and from the, the potential future consequences for people who actually want to put a stop to government corruption. Well, you've got, you know, Hastings, which you just mentioned, who was uh, killed investigating the CIA. And, and that's why Richard Clark came out. He wanted us to know that his car had been hacked. When you have somebody, a former cybersecurity guard, uh, czar, sorry, forget about all the czars, saying something like that, most people take it to the bank, right, James? So that's what he was telling us. Look, we can get to you. I really believe that's what he meant to say. I, I don't, again, see him as some kind of a whistleblower or crusader either. You've got the data snooping into organizations like Reuters or even um, investigative reporters who, who might be investigating the White House or the institutional apparatus. And they, they're looking for their sources to find out who they can you know, nip in the bud on that one. And then you've got Snowden. And there certainly is a chilling effect, not just on whistleblowers, which is really important. But on the rest of us, and I don't know if I want to go around saying anything because they can hear everything and and it it increases the paranoia. So and this is the thing I was talking about yesterday, the 1971 break in of the offices in Media, Pennsylvania. The the, the people have come forward now. They fetched the files of J. Edgar Hoover. And one of the things he was saying, they wanted to increase paranoia within the anti-war movements or the new left or anti-government movements. They wanted people to think there was an FBI agent snooping around every corner, even when there wasn't one. Exactly right. I mean, the question comes up, well, if Snowden isn't legit, then what's the purpose of this whole PSYOP? And um, some people have suggested that it's a CIA, NSA, turf war thing that's going on right now and the CIA trying to smear the NSA. But I think far more likely is what you're talking about here, which is basically the unveiling of the Panopticon. You are being watched at all times. You must, you know, guard everything you're saying. Don't uh, don't think you can ever get out of the reach of the NSA because you're, you're just deluding yourself. And uh, if that's the takeaway message of all this, then mission accomplished, because I'm pretty yep. sure that uh, that now all of the people who were calling us paranoid conspiracy theorists for, you know, daring to cover up the uh, the built in cameras in our in our iMac or what have you are now uh, are now the ones who are saying, well, you know, you can't you can't escape the NSA at all. So I'm not going to speak out about anything. So. Um, so, yeah, I think they've they've done a good job of that. Well, we certainly understated the panopticon is, as you rightly say, and. 
So they need they do need to kind of let us know. Here is the announcement. We've unveiled it. It's here. We are telling you it's legal and it's for your safety, and we're going to do it whether you like it or not. This is what came out two, three years ago with the Obama kill list. I can kill anybody I want without trial, without any kind of, um, you know, <laughs> uh, habeas corp, no, nothing. I mean, people are very concerned that they can be detained unlawfully. They can be killed. They could just be killed. And no one really challenges. There's a couple of people, a lot of them hypocrites like Jeremy Scahill and some other people on the left. They have challenged this and they have revealed it. But to what level? What did we get from that, James, that, oh, well, I guess if I'm bad, a bad slave, I can just be killed by Obama's drones. Literally, we're talking, folks, about flying death robots, okay, in the skies that can kill anybody they want. Um, I, again, something if I said 15 years ago, people would have had me you know, locked up probably, right, James? So, so this is, I guess, the, the cost-benefit analysis. This is the, the solution part, or sorry, the reaction part of Hegelian dialectic. This is the uh, antithesis. Now, of course, we get the solution. But what just really shook me was how people from 1971, when they got those documents from, from the FBI, to uh, all the way up to 9-11, people would be outraged about this kind of thing. They would say, no, this is illegal. You can't do this. And there would be lawyers fighting and lawsuits. And in a way, there's some of that stuff, right? But, but not really. Ever since 9-11, there is some kind of a legal precedent, legal acceptance of all of this. And they want you to know they're doing it because apparently there's no challenge to it. Well, that was the day that changed everything, Jack, of course. I mean, you, you know that. Um, yeah, exactly. And and if the, the whole point is to get the fear message into the alternative media community, then maybe it's mission accomplished. Because, I mean, even in the wake of the Paul Walker uh, thing, the car crash, we had the people who were saying it was a it was a drone strike that, you know, he was going to blow the whistle on something or other. And, and they and they decided to drone him and, and all of this nonsense, which uh, just goes to show again, just how how deeply this has been rooted in people's psyche now that they they really have internalized it if you're uh, if you're going to speak out against the government you're going to be killed by drones from the sky so so i think uh, it's certainly done its its mission if uh, if the mission is just to keep us scared and and scurrying or your car was hacked again wall street journal we did you, you saw the demonstration guy sitting in the back seat with a laptop able to steer the car stop the car make the car go faster uh, by hacking into the car's internal computer system which all cars have now new cars remember cash for clunkers folks there was an ulterior motive. So let's go back to Greenwald for a minute. As you mentioned, for a quote-unquote progressive, I thought he was rather antagonistic to the left. Uh, certainly the other day or last week, he, he kind of put MSNBC General Electric in their place, but he did so politely and, and, uh, and like a gentleman, right? <laughs> how, how much of this is something he would be in on? So we've told you what happened. Now let's speculate a little bit with James Corbett. How much of this is he in on? Is he just taking this carrot and a stick and the money and going, I don't care what happens. I'll throw Snowden under a bus if I have to for, you know, $250 million and then brand new granddaddy of all alternative media operations. Uh, so whatever. I'm going to make a deal with the devil. Is he willingly doing it? Is this his own ego and hubris or is he just stupid or or what have you come up with? 
I should say that uh, that any any uh, thoughts and motivation on my part would are totally speculation. But my my sense would be that uh, this is uh, Greenwald just being Greenwald, i.e., lusting after the the dollars. And um, we can see this from from all the aspects of this story. That basically, I mean, within weeks of the the whole Snowden story breaking, he was already he already had a book deal, and he was already working on movie and uh, uh, movie rights. So, uh, I mean, it, it just goes from day one. And, of course, the book is being sold as having, you know, new information from this stash of, uh, of documents that, that Greenwald and Poitras are the only two people on the planet who have the full Snowden cash. And, uh, and so now he's, he's holding back some information so that he can sell it to book publishers and the like. I mean, it's, it, it's just very unsavory, shall we say. So, I, I mean, there's no way that he doesn't know what's happening here. And, I mean, he's the one who's putting out a lot of this these this disinfo about about how many documents there are about uh david miranda and his trip to berlin um sabelle edmonds just did a great post breaking down some of the lies regarding that and how that was all staged managed theatrics and it looks like that that was basically just pr to you know put another interesting scene in the eventual movie in fact david miranda one of the reasons that he was in berlin not only to pick up that uh, that stash of files from laura poitras but one of the reasons was because he wanted to talk specifically about movie rights um and who would play who in the movie and things like this and that comes directly from miranda himself in an interview that he did so so all of this again is just smoke and mirrors and i think uh, there's no possible way that greenwald doesn't know this i guess the only question is is he you know actively and consciously collaborating with the NSA in this whole psyop or is he just making out like a bandit and uh, I I don't know I mean I think that's the latter's probably the So what they'll do is they'll compromise their principles in order to do something higher more higher minded James to save the world so this is how all of the elites work this is how all the death merchants sleep at night they think that they're killing people to save people you know you're lying in order to create a better new news organization to get people the truth. You start making these compromises and start justifying your position, and then you get to a point where neither one of us, I think, could name one major operation in the alternative media that isn't funded by bad money and control, whether it's Soros or Buffett or the Cokes or the venture capitalists or the tax-free foundations like the Ford Foundation or the think tanks or the Council on Foreign Relations. It's very difficult to find... I can't even name one. One major high-level alternative media source that isn't funded by bad money. Unfortunately, you're right about that. In fact, even Greenwald brings this up in a a post that he put on his own personal blog uh, just last week. He was writing about this, all of these accusations about Omidyar and the NSA connections and all this. And basically he said, well, what what conflict of interest is there here? I mean, it's not going to be fundamentally different than than my time at Salon or The Guardian. And uh, look at an outlet like Democracy Now! Do you think Amy Goodman covers up uh, stories because she has rich funders? And in fact, yes. (laughs) Yes, I do think she does. And I think that's one of the reasons reasons she won't touch 9-11 truth with the 10-foot pole, for example. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. I mean, all of these uh, major, you know, so-called pseudo-alternative outlets are compromised, and they do have the foundation funding and what have you. And this yeah. fundamentally isn't different. And this is coming from a man who used to rail against the corporate media, is now literally signing up with this big corporate billionaire to, to start this new venture. It's just, I mean, it's hypocrisy at a ridiculous level. Yeah, controlled opposition and gatekeepers. I had John Young from Cryptomi on uh, when the WikiLeaks thing broke, and, and we had a very interesting show about Soros leaks. I mean, WikiLeaks. 
and you know what they say, what they didn't say, who, what the character of the people were, and and what was real and what wasn't real. And I think people have to listen to that into my vintage archives at, at DeadlineLive.info. But am I imagining it, or did did you have John Young on recently talking about all of this? Yes, I did. Just recently talked to him. A fascinating conversation. And I mean, he's again, he's skeptical as well. And he thinks these questions needs to be asked. So I, I hope people will listen to that interview. He, he has a really level headed analysis of this. And I really like him. He's very no nonsense and uh, gets to the point and is a very interesting speaker. So um, people can check that out. I've also talked to um, Kevin Ryan. Uh, who's better known for his work on 9-11. He does excellent research on that, but uh, he also wrote recently about this whole Snowden affair and what's going on with Greenwald. So more and more people are starting to come out on this. Um, e- even someone like Alexa O'Brien, who apparently was being considered for this new Omidyar venture, she turned it down flat because uh, she doesn't. She, she thinks Omidyar is full of, uh, full of BS. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's getting to the point where some people are starting to come out and question this. But I, I mean, Sibel Edmonds has really been on the cutting edge of this and, and taking a lot of the flack for it. I know, you know, through back channels, I've, I've heard, saw some emails that, sorry, Abby, that Abby Martin had written on this and, and she says she doesn't want to take sides, but they don't want to ask questions either. So, I mean, this is the biggest story. The guy almost was time man of the year. If he hadn't been beaten out by Frankie one that's, that's the Pope folks, the new Pope. He's, you know, he was number two on that. I mean, you can't imagine, and we've done this show before where we've talked about James Corbett with us, the Corbett Report. We've talked about how, you know, some of uh, Benny and some of the other guys that have gone out and talked about NSA and NSA spying on our politicians and on uh, high-level people. I mean, this, this stuff gets pretty intense. They don't get the big media rollout. They don't get all the attention. And I don't think it's just timing with Snowden. There seems to be an ulterior motive. Now, now I hope you didn't blow all my PayPal donations forever by some of this because, again, <laughs> you folks have nothing to hide by donating to both my show and James, who also works off of voluntarist donations to keep him rolling. Uh, your people are always very nice to me and, and always very helpful and generous, so I hope my people are nice to you and, and donate and, and subscribe to uh, CorbettReport.com, and maybe you'll find other ways to send electronic money. I'd like, to, I'd like to invent one myself if I had the money. But PayPal is everywhere. I can't remember the name of the guy, I'm getting old, who put millions and millions and millions of dollars, one of the top benefactors into the Ron Paul campaign in 2012. And that, he was a Bilderberg guy, and I can't remember his name. Was it Peter, Peter Thiel. Yeah, Peter Thiel, right. Uh, so they're going for both the left and the right in this. I, I hate to call Ron Paul right, but let's face it, a libertarian if you want, but that's definitely paleo-conservative. So here they are covering all their bases uh, with all of these billions from internet money. Exactly right. And uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, I think Ron Paul kind of pretty much lost me politically with Republic can. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I-, I think you're right. It's it's both sides of the aisle and they're, they're trying to cover their bases. Long. It didn't take that long. Well, what he's talking about, they changed their slogan to Re- Republican, which uh, what was the other one? I, I even forgot the, the one they used to use. I don't remember off the top of my head either, actually. <laughs> it it couldn't have been that memorable. Oh, I've been watching Rand Paul. It, it's dizzying. It's hard. Uh, the Guardian, of course, no minor player in all of this as well. So just like the New York Times will selectively print certain whistleblower information, so will papers like The Guardian. And 
it is really when you say the word panopticon, I get kind of sick of hearing that word, but it really does explain exactly what's going on, especially in the media and whether it's Hollywood or whether it's the big newspapers or the big alternative news operations. I was talking to a friend of mine about Politico. He was posting a bunch of stories from Politico. I'm like, are you aware that that's like Riggs Bank, which was started and run by one of the Bush brothers, which was a huge a player in the BCCI scandal, laundering drug money scandal. That's where the Politico came from. They used to be Riggs Bank, okay? So so obviously most of the people listening to this show know they have to be very careful about the information they get. But, you know, the thing is when all your friends are, are championing something like Snowden, it's very difficult to, to think for yourself when you're surrounded by this kind of acquiescence to whatever the mainstream media is saying. Yeah, well, again, there are so many people who will go along with what, whatever kind of the prevailing sentiment is, and I think that that's why it's important that there are more voices that are coming out to at least question Greenwald on this, because I think that that will start the uh, kind of the avalanche, hopefully, of people who actually do put his feet to the fire. And look, I, I mean, as I say, I'm willing to to believe that, that Greenwald is, is who he says he is, and he's on the up and up. I just want him to prove it and answer some of these questions, and, uh, and you know, maybe if the very first uh, post on this new media venture is uh, one that exposes the PayPal NSA connection and and uh, uh, ends in the right. destruction of PayPal. Maybe then I'll believe that this is real. But until then, I'm, I'm definitely maintaining my skepticism, as everyone should. It's so easy to buy reporters. It's just so easy to intimidate, control, and buy reporters. This is this kind of compartmentalized pyramid if you don't get to that point, you may never know, but James and I have both had offers in the past, and, and we could have easily been absorbed into this whole thing if we'd had the ego and the need for greed to go along with our need to tell people the truth. So yeah, I just look at all the people around me I've worked with all these years and just watch how easily they were bought. It, it just blows your mind, absolutely. I'm up to a break here, so let's set up what we're going to talk about in the next segment. I really want to hit... Because when I was on your show the last time, you kind of sprang something on me that I wasn't aware of. We were talking about the Bob Graham 9-11 story. So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, because we didn't get to that, who was Bob Graham and what was Senator Graham and what was he doing on the morning of 9-11, first of all. And you had said, well, I think this is a, a set demonization of Saudi Arabia, a complete reversal of our general international policy towards the House of Saud. And it struck me, and it sounded right. And literally within days, a bunch more stories were coming out vilifying and attacking Saudi Arabia and the House of Saud. So I talked to my friend William Engdahl, who will be on the show next week. He's writing a book about this, and he's got some definite theories I want to share with you. But uh, just to tease the listeners a little bit, if you don't like Saudi Arabia... <laughs> You may like what's going to happen later this year because it looks very much like an Arab Spring coming to Saudi Arabia. So I want to talk about that with you. We'll save your comments, if you could, for uh, the, the next segment, which will start in just a couple of minutes after the commercial break here on the microeffect.com. Uh, also, we'll get some uh, international forecasting on financial matters. My good friend James Corbett, the Corbett Report, with us. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yeah, the list of people and groups and group think that we have offended on our show today is just astronomical. It's off the charts. 
offended the lovers of Saddam Hussein. We offended the lovers of Al-Qaeda. We offended most of the Reagan and Bush people. I'm sure all of the Cousin Barry Obama people, uh, some Sarah Palin people, and then, of course, the the Glenn Greenwald and uh, Nick Snowden. I don't even care what his name is anymore. <laughs> See? Because I'm not even sure the guy's alive. I'm not even sure that, that they didn't film him earlier, kill him, and they're playing old videos of him talking as kind of a ransom call or something. I, I don't even know what's real anymore. As long as it comes from the mainstream media, I consider it an illusion until it's proven otherwise. I know James Corbett agrees with, with me. James Corbett on the line with us, thecorbettreport.com. Got to go there. Got to listen to and it's quick, not like this show with long rambling and digression and non sequiturs. It's quick and to the point, except when I'm on, it <laughs> takes about 20 minutes out of your life. And you'll really get some great information from my friend James Corbett. Thanks again for being with me, James. I hope you do this every month. I hope so, too. Absolutely. If you're willing to have me on, I'm willing to be here. I'm better than coffee in Japan. Can you even get coffee in Japan now? People want to know, you live in Japan. Are you, like, glowing when you turn the lights off? Or, or what's the situation? You always give us a little Fukushima information. There, um, uh, what, we've been hearing some pretty bad stuff coming from your end of the world. I figure you're still there with a new baby and everything. You're, you're probably not super concerned that you're going to die any second. But, but do you not have to use lights at night now or candles or anything? You just glow? Well, or? Let me check. Let me turn the lights off. Um, no, oddly enough, I'm not actually glowing in the dark. And uh, yeah, I, of course, I have my concerns about Fukushima. And that's why I have an entire website dedicated to it, FukushimaUpdate.com, where we're keeping our eye on all the latest. But unfortunately, there's, there's an awful lot of fear-mongering going on as well right now. And that, unfortunately, the, the fear-mongering spreads so much more quickly than any kind of sane, rational analysis. And it's not to say that all concerns about Fukushima are just insanity or fear-mongering or what have you, but some of them are. And uh, just one example that came along recently, there was this story that went ultra-mega-viral around uh, Christmas New Year, um, about some steam that was coming out of Reactor 3. And uh, there was a, a certain radio network that I won't even promote here by, uh, that, was, that was talking about this and, oh, we're all going to die. The radioactive plume is coming to America, blah, blah, blah. Um, this was a radio network that was founded by a former FBI informant. So, uh, you know, I mean, just take that for what it's all worth. But, um, but uh, that, that story spread so quickly and I had so many people who were emailing me about it and tweeting me about it and trying to get me to cover it and blah 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 and so of course I had to post uh, the debunking of that showing that in fact this steam has been going on since at least June so we it's nothing new and yeah. uh, and uh, basically a lot of the, the, the hype about this is just people who don't even know what's happening at the site so, um, so unfortunately again the lie spreads very quickly and the truth uh, is very slowly so um, I'm trying to do the yeoman's work at Fukushima update of keeping my eye on on the lies that they're coming from TEPCO and the government, because there are definitely a lot of those, but also the lies that are being spread around in the alternative media that make everyone think that basically humanity is about to die at any moment. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> lots, of, lots of reasons to think that. Give out that website URL again, if you would, James Corbett, and I want people to write this down so that they can compare notes. 
That's FukushimaUpdate.com. That's all one word, FukushimaUpdate.com. And I try to have a healthy balance of, uh, of things from both sides because unfortunately there's not, there's not a lot of analysis that's in the middle. It's, it's people who are either blindly defending TEPCO and the government or people who are blindly uh, saying everything is a lie. So I'm trying to find uh, stuff on both sides so that people can make up their own mind. Your life depends on you being right about this. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people as well. I mean, at least 125 million people in Japan and then however many people on the West Coast of the states, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, trust me, if I if I genuinely thought that everyone on the west coast of the United States was going to die, I would certainly be telling my listeners there about this. And oh, and, oh no, 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 we have our own radiation to worry about here. That has nothing to do with you. And then several ticking time bombs. They're building another eight billion dollar one as we speak here in the United States of America. So we have a lot of our own problems here, and and I understand why people are afraid of it. But but what I don't understand. I guess I kind of do, but I don't want to go there too much, is why people want to believe the worst. Why they want to be scared. Is this like, a, I guess, the new 21st century horror movie or something? I think that, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it's very difficult to really get your head around the uh, the psychology of it, but there's something to that, definitely, that there are people who just want to believe the world is ending, and uh, I'm not really sure what that is, but you can definitely see it, especially in some of the, the commenters and, th- and people who latch onto some of the, the kind of more scaremongery websites, and they make a kind of cult out of it, that we're all dying and everyone's lying, and, and it it's, it's, it's gets kind of creepy after a while when you've really been around it for, for long enough. I mean, there are people who, who, who genuinely seem disappointed when stories are debunked because <laughs> yeah. they actually want to believe the world is ending. It's, it's a kind of sickness that's going on. Well, but. That's why I don't have as many listeners as I used to is I, I tell too many stories about good news and victories. And then I take the side that you've taken on things like Edward Snowden and Fukushima, which I talked about. I said almost the exact same thing that you said today on my show on Dangerous Conversation yesterday. And I could just feel the agitation coming back at me, you know, it's a, why, why, you don't know what you're talking about. And then as I mentioned, I think on my first show back live that when you turns out you're right, people, they don't come back to you and apologize. They don't come back and go, I, I told everyone that you were an FBI agent not to listen to you. And I quit listening to you and I put my foot down, but if it turns out you were right. They don't come back because they feel too guilty and horrible to come back and listen to you anymore, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's move forward to geopolitics, which you're really good at and something that I cannot stop investigating and thinking about because in this globalization world we live in, in the new world order, all things are interconnected. So we have to look at where the domino starts over here and where our domino is right here to hopefully, again, protect ourselves from real things and not distractions. The House of Saud in a lot of trouble all of a sudden. And this all started with Bob Graham coming out and saying what I think he said before, that he thought that the Saudis were more responsible than al-Qaeda for the most part and that, that they haven't been accountable for their role in 9-11. And, and I know if you say that about Israel, you're immediately struck down as some kind of uh, you know, anti-Semite and a racist. But let's keep in mind that Arabs are also Semites. <laughs> They're being attacked right now on a regular basis. Can we start off with just tell the quick, you know, few paragraph story about where Bob Graham, Senator Bob Graham, who started all of this anti-Saudi Arabia fervor, where he was in the morning of 9-11? 
Well, on 9-11, as people might remember, uh, Senator Bob Graham was the head of the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, and he was breakfasting with the head of the House Intelligence Committee, Porter Goss, and one more person. Uh, who was that? Oh, yeah, General Mahmoud Ahmed of the ISI, Pakistan's equivalent of the CIA, and an organization that basically is an adjunct of the CIA, and uh, the CIA has all sorts of power over it, including even... Uh, basically veto power on who, who gets to be the head of the ISI. So basically breakfasting with this CIA uh, operative in, in Pakistan. And uh, w w they were talking apparently and, and breakfasting as the planes were running into the World Trade Center, which is interesting because even the FBI's own investigation showed um, in, in the weeks following that it was General Mahmoud Ahmed who was responsible for uh, wiring $100,000 to these alleged hijackers in the, in the run-up to this whole um, PSYOP. So, um, so there you go. I mean, they're, they're literally breakfasting with the man who was, even the FBI says, was responsible for funding these attacks. Although, of yeah. course, the ultimate final word comes from the 9-11 uh, Commission that ultimately concluded, oh, by the way, absolutely, uh, the, the funding of this, absolutely no importance whatsoever. Don't look yeah, into where the money came don't from. Don't follow the money, whatever you do, because then it leads to AIG and Kroll, and <laughs> you want to know what who killed John O'Neill, et cetera. Okay, so there's the preface for that. That's how it started with you and me, and you kind of shocked me back into reality with this. The time is almost over for the Saudi Arabian regime. So then I talked to William Engdahl, and he'll come on and elaborate on this. He's writing a book on it. He's a great researcher in Europe, and it's his theory that the United States, the West, uh, let's call them what their real name is, Oceania, the <laughs> They are done with the Saudi regime. They are done with monarchies and royal regimes, and that's what this Arab Spring thing is really all about, is to put forth and put in <clears throat> democracies, which can more easily be controlled, and they are backing the Muslim Brotherhood, the MB, over the, the royals. Uh, the MB, I think it's been clearly proven, is um, either owned, operated, or completely controlled by the CIA of the United States of America and global intelligence and Western Oceania intelligence as a whole. So this reminds me a lot of what Adam Weisskopf's whole deal was with the real Bavarian Illuminati. They were going to get rid of the monarchs and put in place democracies and have liberty, and they used all these words. Okay, this was for the people, but then they would control the democracies and do whatever they had to do, <laughs> what, however it worked out for we the people, and f whatever would be in our best interest because we were too stupid to know how to you know, control things and to be free, right? So you can see I put a lot in there, right? That's how I do it, and you can see there's a lot going on there. Give me your projection. Is, is um, my friend William Engel on to something here? Are we going to see, because there was a big call for a day of rage in Saudi Arabia back in, what is it, 2011, and we helped them beat that. Okay, We didn't do that for other countries, but we, we did help them. But it looks like all bets are off now. Do you see that at the end of, of the Bandar Bush uh, Saud regime coming? The tide has has absolutely turned in recent in over the course of the past year. I've definitely been watching this this taking off, and the the gloves are coming off when it comes to Saudi Arabia. And suddenly, all of these glaring, ridiculous hypocrisies that have been smack dab in the middle of all of this rhetoric about what what all these revolutions and everything were, which is that oh, you know, I mean, we have to go to Afghanistan, we have to occupy them for over a decade because they're so brutal towards women or or what have you. Whereas, of course, I mean, the the most repressive regime in the world has always been the Saudis and yet they've always been our bosom buddies or um, I, I say our I'm not even an American why do I even 
put myself in that, let alone the American people. Of course, it's the American government that does all this. So, um, but they've they've all obviously been bosom buddies and protected them throughout all of this. So, so um, th- this has always been kind of the ticking time bomb in this in the middle of the nine eleven myth. And uh, and this has been purposefully implanted that way. I mean, we can we can all gasp it with shock and surprise now that uh, that uh, twelve years later we have people like Senator Graham coming out calling literally calling for a new nine eleven investigation because ooh, we've all overlooked this missing piece of the puzzle. The, the the did you know that fifteen of the nineteen hijackers were Saudis? I mean, <laughs> this has been sitting there all along, waiting for the okay. the right moment um, to basically set it off. And now they're t- now everyone's talking about the redacted twenty eight pages from the the joint uh, House and Senate Intelligence Committee report um, talking about Saudi Arabia's involvement in sponsoring of these attacks. So blah, blah, blah. Here we are now. Suddenly all of this is coming out. And and why is it coming out now? Um, I I think there really has been a shifting of the tide. And we see all of the different media puppets coming out now questioning Saudis and uh, and starting to 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 add themselves to the mix. I mean, CFR, Fareed Zakaria and all of these people are now really taking the kid gloves off when it comes to the Saudis. And uh, and it's interesting to watch now what the Saudis are doing in reaction to all of this. And we're starting to see at the beginnings of what appears to be the uh, the kind of, you know, de- detaching of the Saudis from the American military umbrella and all of this. We saw them t- turn down their UN Security Council seat. We've seen even one of the, the princes of the House of Saud, which, by the way, is a complete fiction that was created by the West anyway in the first place. But uh, we saw one of the princes come out with a an op-ed in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago saying they're going to go it alone because no one else is helping them now in Syria to, uh, to fund the terrorists' insurgency in that country. So they're basically going to do it all themselves. That's a admission, by the way, of their involvement in Syria, which had, had up to that point, I don't think had been admitted. Actually, there was some Jordanian ambassador that had actually admitted Saudi's involvement with the Syrian terrorists uh, several months ago, but that didn't get a lot of traction. From but the yeah, camels. I mean, it's everyone's known about it. And the, I mean, even the Washington Post has reported, and maybe again, this is another indication of the, the gloves coming off, has reported that uh, they've pumped $400 million into Syria uh, since the beginning of that conflict. So, so definitely, I mean, no one is surprised. Well, Syria blew up in the faces of Oceania. And isn't it nice to kind of, again, cost benefit analysis, <laughs> be able to blame the Saudis for it. You know, who isn't, you know, who isn't going after the Sauds is Fox news. Could that be because Prince Al Walib bin Talil is, uh, I guess, uh, technically the number two owner of Fox News, no? Right, yeah. No, in fact, I hadn't thought of that. But yes, I mean, obviously, that's a very important connection. I mean, uh, and it's important to think that there is a certain uh, extent to which this might be some stage theatrics going on right now of kind of, you know, a a lover's quarrel, as it were, between the Saudis and the U.S. I was just talking to to Ryan Dawson uh, here in Japan uh, just last night for his podcast, and we were discussing this. Um, this whole brouhaha. And I was, uh, you know, putting forward, well, are they really um, uh, trying to sever the relationship? And and it was his opinion that not really. This is just uh, basically the Saudis shaking the American money tree and and, um, and uh, they're not that going to... True. That would be true if we're talking about Kim Jong-un, who often does that, you know, provokes and, and saber rattles a little bit to get more money. And it always works. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's the case in this. And I... I I see something rather diabolical happening. You know, what's interesting, too, and I wanted to go back to Fox here with Prince uh, Al-Walib bin Talil. 
that Fox would take any opportunity, right? I mean, they're the anti-Obama channel. They would take any opportunity to attack um, um, Osama bin bin uh, Barry, and <laughs> they wouldn't. But they're taking the Saudi side on this over America. And I think that has got to turn a lot of people off. No, I mean, that's got to be pretty hard. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. They are taking Saudi Arabia's side over our president. Whether you like him or not, that can't be very popular with the pro-America people, no? No, it it can't be. But unfortunately, so many of them are willing to swallow basically whatever is put on their, their glowing idiot box. And, uh, and I don't think there are many people who put that much thought into it. As long as it has an American flag in the background and uh, on the scrolling bar in the bottom of the screen, I don't think they, they, they question too deeply what's really taking place or even what they're being told, you know, overtly. Um, sad but true and it's important to know that I mean Fox News is also the mouthpiece of the the military industrial complex uh, par excellence and the the MIC is doing quite fine in, with the Saudis and their their constant uh, purchases of, of Boeings and others that uh, that are part of this whole you know the the whole quid quid pro quo yeah no we on. Fun- and we turn that immediately into contracts for weapons. That's the dirty little secret a lot of people don't. In fact, look at the, the 2014 NDAA. It's all in there. There's 5,000 parts, and it's a hard read, but all the funding for both Israel and Saudi Arabia and many other points in between are, are all listed in there, and you can read it for yourself. I guess the Sods are thinking Jeb Bush can't come soon enough at mm. this point. Uh, that that brings up a, a bunch of new questions, but I have to go back to something you said that 9/11 had the Saudi element. Again, we remember the several of the hijackers with the uh, box cutters, as we're told, and carrying their passports, which you know flew down out of giant, built, blowed up buildings. You know, um, they. Uh, they were there the whole time that you could use any time you wanted. They were going to be there. But what about uh, Oklahoma City? They did the same thing. You remember, I don't know if a lot of people have heard this term, but there's Operation Iraqi Paperclip, where after the Gulf War, George Herbert Walker Bush appropriated a number of the worst killers and the most dedicated uh, greedy bastards in, in Iraq to use for his own devices. And a lot of people saw them on the ground in Oklahoma City. And Jana Davis tried to report this and a lot of other people. But it seemed like, and I don't think that's the cause of it by any means, but it seemed like that was sitting there the whole time. That if you ever needed it, you can put Muslims, they don't have to be from Iraq, they can be from Saudi Arabia now again, from anywhere. That they were on the ground in Oklahoma City. So isn't that an interesting element to a lot of these false flag events that they have all these different cards they lay out and they can just pick one if they want. I don't want to give them all that power. I'm not trying to say that, but you got to at least give them credit for thinking this whole thing through when they, they pull one of these, these deals off. Oh, exactly right. I mean, any any black op has 18, or any good black op has about 18 different covers that they could use at any time and pull that out of their hat or other orifices as need be. And I mean, I mean, if you look at an operation like JFK, um, again, something like that is going to have 18 different covers and they could throw in any one of a number of different patsies depending on the way that events play out. And that's, I mean, anyone who doesn't understand that that's how intelligence operations work, don't really understand intelligence operations. And with the OKC example, 
notable. I mean, what what was John Doe number two? That was one of their aces up their sleeve. If if it came to that, they could pull him out. And of course, he was a you know oddly Muslim looking kind of guy, wasn't he? You know, with the the description of his you know the, the complexion of his skin and all of this that we've gotten from various witnesses. So that was another thing that was planted in the heart of the OKC story. They didn't need that uh, that Joker, so they they threw him out of the deck. Well, no. Didn't he end up working at Logan Airport on 9-11? Al Husseini Hussein? Uh, yes, uh, right. No, there's there's a lot of bizarre OKC 9-11 uh, linkages and, and the alleged hijackers yeah. spending time in OKC and even visiting apparently the Murrah Memorial or something. I mean, just craziness uh, with regards to that. Oh, I haven't really investigated it. Read my exclusive on that. Uh, Jack Blood, Oklahoma City, 9-11. We actually had a bartender who had some of the hijackers, not just before 9-11 in his bar, but after 9-11. And they were using government credit cards. And it, it's a long story I'm not getting into right now. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I've crawled out on the ledge. I've crawled out on the limb. I think there will be an Arab Spring. I think there will be an overthrow of the monarchy that they'll just hands off. They tried to stop it before. Now we'll just be hands off and go, that's none of our business. I think it will happen in 2014. Are you going yes or no on that question? You're not going to get a straight yes or no from me. Come on. Um, I, I, let me put it this way. If if it happened, if if Saudi is taken down this year, it will be through something like that. I have no question about it. And they have a big festering sore point in in some of their oil rich areas, which is the uh, the Shia population there, which they've they're always extremely paranoid about. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why the Sauds hate the Shias so much. And, and oh yeah, notice that we're really good friends with Iran all of a sudden. Hey, do you, you're missing that part of the story, folks, too. And we could elaborate if we had any more time. But I'm glad to hear maybe i might have heard this james corbett spending some of the credibility you banked <laughs> no i'm hoarding it hoarding it for a rainy day uh. hey please help my friend and please support the corbett c-o-r-b-e-double-t report his people are always really good to me you be good to him it's only like, what, a dollar or something or, or just a, even a nominal donation gets you on mailing lists and, and, and people get access to all the work you do. It's really cheap. It's cheaper than anything I do. Right. One dollar a month is the uh, the basic sign up. And that gets you the subscriber newsletter once a week comes huh. out. And uh, by the way, uh, the subscriber newsletter this week and next week is a preview of my Federal Reserve documentary, which I'm working on diligently behind the scenes. And I'm a couple weeks late already, but I'm really going all out with this. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you maybe next month. Yeah, I hope so. In case, unless there's some major geopolitical upheaval and we'll have to supersede it and not talk about how we're all going to die because the dollar is going to crash and the economy is going to crash. That's not what he says. Check out his uh, economic forecast at the Corbett Report. We'll be back tomorrow. Robert Scott Bell will be with us. It's only right here at the Jack Blood Show, the microeffect.com, deadlinelive.info. Late, bold, mighty forces will come to your aid. Thanks, James.